Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. Hey, well, good morning. My name is Andrew, and I'm a one of the members here at RCB, and I'm just really excited about this passage of Scripture out of Luke 10 that we're going to look at for the next few moments. So just for the sake of time, I want to dive right into this, this passage that, that Matt just read to us. And we find this expert in the religious law. He's questioning Jesus as to how he might inherit eternal life. And he's not realizing that this very question would lead to a story that Jesus tells this parable that is probably, in my opinion, the most recognized parable for those that are not participating in the Christian faith. In fact, we even have laws built into our land. We know it as the Good Samaritan Law that simply says that if you are trying within good reason to help somebody that's in an immediate danger, an immediate need, that if you do something that is a bit faulty or off, that legally you are protected from any sort of lawsuit or legal action taken against you. And this is the parable that Jesus begins to describe. My fear with the the Good Samaritan law here in the U.S. is that if the authorities here locally were to go and try to round up people that might fall into the category of being a Good Samaritan, I'm a little afraid that my name may not come up as a suspect. And I wonder if the same is true for you. It's just a question. I'm not trying to be offensive to you today, but I just want us to think about these things today. In verse 26, Jesus asks the expert, that's how I will refer to him throughout this story, this this expert in religious law. He comes back with a question. He says, so what is written in the law? How do you see the answer to your question? Because remember, his question was, how do I inherit eternal life? This expert knows, he says, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul And with all of your strength and with all of your mind, and you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we don't know if this expert is currently doing this, but the scripture shows that he at least understands this and he knows this. And in verse 28, Jesus says, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But I find it interesting. He told him, do this and you will live. But the guy listed out two different things. He said that you've got to Love God with everything inside of you, and you have to love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus doesn't say, do these two things and you'll live. He says, do this. Like it's singular, it's one and the same. A a good friend of mine, Parker Tant, put it this way to me. He said, that a holy God somehow equates me loving him as the same thing as loving my neighbor as myself is just mind-blowing. But that's what the scripture says. Do this thing and you'll find eternal life. Moving on, the man asks in verse 29, he says, so who is my neighbor? And it says there in the scripture that the man is wanting to justify himself. It's a massive question, a great question at that. I just wonder how many times are questions coming from my mouth that are really just an attempt to justify 
myself and my lifestyle, not really wanting to hear what Jesus has to say. But he asked the question, and it opened it up. Who is my neighbor? Let me pause for a moment, and I want you to think about something. I want you to think, who is the best neighbor that you've ever had in your life? Now, when we use the term neighbor, we're normally talking about somebody that lives next door to us. I know some of us, myself included, the minute we say neighbor, some of us have the idea of the, the guy or gal that we don't want to be around. Like the one that you're in the apartment complex and you're sharing the wall with them, or maybe it's a, a past roommate, or maybe the, the guy and the gal next door that weren't very polite to you when you were a kid. I know, but I want you to go the other side of that coin today and think, who is the best neighbor that you've ever had? Because in a little bit, I'm actually going to have you share that with the person that's sitting next to you this morning. As I think about like the neighbors that I have in my life with my family, we are extremely blessed. On one side of our house, we have a man and his, his wife and, and kids, and they're extremely generous. They're always bringing us treats. Uh, if he orders too much food from Kroger, he'll bring us steaks and popsicles for the kids and ice cream. He brought me a weed eater the other day. It's like a really nice one, and it didn't end up working, so he ordered a carburetor online, paid for it, and just brought it to me. I'm like, amen to that. The guy on the other side, while we're gone over the Christmas break, he tightened up our fence. He's like, hey, man, I'm just going to take care of this. I got time. We're going to do it between he and I. Got the fence looking good. And he's mowed our lawn for three years in a row every week without pay. He just came and said, hey, Andrew, can I bless your family? Can I just do this for you? I'm like, bro, knock yourself out. Like, this is great. We will take this. Knock on the door. Two nights ago, the lady across the street came and brought us like, fresh homemade cinnamon rolls. I'm like, we've got some good neighbors. Like if there was a vote that I had to take and say, who is Andrew's best neighbor? It's a toss up. It really is. So I want you to be thinking about whether past or present, who is the best neighbor that you've ever had? Because remember, you're going to get the chance to share that in just a moment with the person that's sitting next to you. But I want to get back into the, the meat in the heart of the message. And this is, again, a parable of Jesus. And what I love about parables is that Jesus gets to pick all of the details. He picks the characters. He picks the story. And so everything we see is spoken of from the mouth of Jesus, this parable. No matter how big or how small, it all should point to him. And so now he's going to answer the expert, this guy that says, well, hey, who is my neighbor. And we find in verse 30, the first thing that comes out of Jesus's mouth, he says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. And after doing a little study, I can just see that this expert immediately, his mind is now in this mode of condemning because everybody knew in that time that the road from Jerusalem down to Jericho, about 20 miles with a 3,000-foot drop in elevation, was a dangerous, treacherous road that was not ever meant to be traveled alone. In fact, it was considered extremely foolish for a man, for a woman, to travel down this road by themselves. In the day, they called it the bloody way because you would see these, these band of robbers and thieves and thugs would be lying in wait as you would come around and you're coming around the mountainside and you can't see the other side because of these boulders and these cliffs and as you, you, you pass by that they would ambush you and they would beat you and they would rob you. So you had to travel together in packs. And it was even known that some people would pretend that they had been the victim 
And as you came and you wanted to offer assistance to them, that they would flip the tables on you and they would get up and they would beat you and their buddies would come and they would take whatever they had from you. And so I can just see like this story, Jesus starts out talking to the expert and just says, hey, this man was traveling by himself from Jerusalem to Jericho. You moron, why would he do that? Like, I, like Jesus is telling this story and this guy's like, I can already tell you where the problem is. This guy shouldn't have done that alone. He should not have done, he's not even like ready to listen to the story. He's just mind is locked in with it's his fault. But as we turn that in, inward, I wonder how many times I'm trying to hear somebody's story, but the first part that comes out, I'm judging them instantly. Like, I know where your problem is. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't think you're even, like, you're not even worth it. It's, it's just, you're a fool. Like, you've gone down these roads, and I already want to fix them. Not even willing to listen to the entire story of what's really going on. I, I wonder if I, I blame that. Maybe it's one of those past neighbors we talked about. You know, they're just like mean to you. You're like, you're just, you're just a bitter old person. I don't want to talk to you. Or maybe it's the coworker you have that comes in and they just can't seem to get their stuff together. And you're like, I know what your problem is. You're, you're just foolish. You're not, like, you're not doing things the right way. Or I know we've all seen it. There's those guys and gals on the, the side of the road that, you know, they appear to be homeless. And they're holding up a sign and we instantly go to judging them. Maybe not you, but I do. Like, why are they in that mess? And my thought is always, it's their fault. They've done something wrong. They deserve to be in that place and don't even want to hear the rest of the story. In verse 30, Jesus continues, and he's telling this man the story. He said, they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him. And they went away, and they left him half dead. You know, people get beat up in life, but rather than help, we want to debate how they got themselves in that mess instead of looking them as an actual person. So here's this man that had gone down this treacherous road by himself. He's unnamed. We don't actually even know his ethnicity. We just know that he's lying there, beaten, stripped, half dead. And now we're going to be introduced to three characters. Remember, Jesus is the one telling the story. The expert in the law, this guy that knows everything about the past religion, everything that he's supposed to do. I'm supposed to love the Lord my God with everything inside of me, and I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. This is who Jesus is speaking to as he picks the characters in the story. Who's going to respond to the man laying there, beaten and torn up on the side of the road? In verse 31, he says, A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man... He passed by on the other side. I find it interesting that this priest is also traveling alone and he's going down the same road. I think somehow we think that people that are in dire needs have gone down a different path than you and I, but we're so blinded by our religious cleanliness that sometimes we can't see that we're actually traveling down the exact same road. Oh, maybe you don't get beaten and robbed because we have a protection over our lives. But if there's somebody that's gone down that road and they've been beaten and they've been robbed, do we just step aside and do we just look at them from a distance and like, man, I'm not like him. This guy's on the same road. He's doing the same foolish thing. He's traveling by himself. But if you know anything about the priesthood in that time, they're not allowed to touch dead things. For if he touches something that's dead, he becomes unclean. He can't 
perform his religious duties at that time. He's out seven days a week, whatever it is, because he can't touch dead things. But the scripture never said the guy was dead. It said he was half dead. Did this priest call something dead that wasn't truly dead? Have I called somebody or something dead that's not actually dead? Is there still a little bit of life for somebody that's beaten and torn apart in their life? Is there still a little bit of hope for them? Or do I just dismiss them and say, that's dead? There's no hope for that kind of person. This guy has this knowledge of religious law, but his own knowledge is what kept him from helping the very thing that the law was meant to protect. I think he's too blinded by his religious cleanliness that he sees only the problem and not the person. That's what the priest is doing. As, we're, as you're listening to this, also, again, just as a side note, be re- remembering, thinking about who is the best neighbor that you've ever had in your life. In verse 32, it says, So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, a, a Levite was a temple assistant from the tribe of Levi. And he came and he got a closer look too, but he decides to pass by. I don't know if he saw the priest that was in front of him and thought, well, hey, he's kind of the, the go-to guy. I'm going to follow his lead. Or we don't know if he came by a little bit later. The scripture doesn't say that. But he's a temple assistant. Let me put it kind of to you in our common terms. He's a guy that would be here helping set up. Even a Levite was someone that would actually sing a psalm during their meeting. He would, he would help out in the synagogue or in the temple where he was. He was somebody that would you know, set up the chairs and, and do the mic check and all those types of things. That's literally what a Levite did. He was a temple assistant. But I think as he saw this man and he, he chose to pass by, I think that he was too concerned with the temple that he missed the only temple that really mattered. And that was the one that was sitting there in a mess on the side of the road. Have you ever said, man, I really wish we could stop and help that person. They look like they need some help, but I've got to get to church. Like that, That's important. I've got to give God his time. I don't mean this to sound offensive. I really don't. But like I have worship team practice or I've got to preach on Sunday. I don't have time on Saturday to engage you. I can tell that this person really could use a hand, but I've got bigger things to do for God. Do we so focused? Are we focused on the temple that we miss the temples that God came, that Jesus came and that he died for? What I love about this, though, Jesus and his infinite wisdom He gives these guys each one verse, the priest and the Levite. He just mentions them, doesn't tell us their names or anything, but he knows that the heart of the story lies in the third character. It's not in the priest. It's not in the Levite. It's in verse number 33 that we come to a man that he refers to as simply a Samaritan. Again, he's talking to the expert in the law, this Jewish man when he hears the word Samaritan, it's, it's quite easy to assume that he was not happy to hear those words come out of this man's mouth. For a Samaritan, if you know anything about them, they were this Jewish nation and they had been overtaken by their captors and people had come in and rather than stick to their roots, they began to intermarry years before that. And there was like this, this mixed, this half-breed is what they were referred to as. And the Jews hated the Samaritans so much so 
that when they would travel north, instead of going through Samaria, they would go around Samaria just so they didn't have to interact with the Samaritans because they were, they were sellouts. They're like, how can you not stick true to what you know? Like you married these people, the half-breed, they didn't like them. And so Jesus calls me, says, hey, is this Samaritan, this, as the King James Version says, a certain Samaritan comes down. It says that as he traveled, he came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Do you notice that the first two people, the priest and the Levite, just happened to be going down the road? But the Samaritan, it says that he was traveling. When you travel, you're doing it with intentionality. You're going from a place to somewhere else. This man, we assume, is also alone. And in verse 34, something completely different. It said that he went to him. He didn't pop up a tent and say, hey, I've got a lot of ways that I can help you. Why don't you come in to me? No, he actually went to the guy. Man, I'm telling you guys, again, no offense intended. I'm in the same boat as you are. But if we, for some crazy reason think that the lost and dying world out there is just going to walk through those doors we've got something else coming there are people in this world that are dead that are half dead on the side of the road needing someone to help them they can't physically get up and come to us they can't come to where you are you have to go to them take the gospel to them that's what this man is doing it says that he came to the man on the side of the road. And he didn't just talk to him. He didn't just say, hey, well, I don't know what, what happened. Like, what, what, were, were you coming down the road alone? Like, why would you do that? He doesn't say anything to him. Look what he does in verse 34. It says that he bandaged his wounds and he poured on oil and wine. These are valuable items that this man is carrying. They're for medicinal purposes. He wants to bandage this guy up. He wants to bring life back to him. But doesn't this Samaritan know, doesn't he understand that it's dangerous to travel down the road with this oil and with this wine and with all these bandages? Like, he has stuff. But apparently he doesn't care. I, I wonder, I just wonder, has he been down this road before? Was he out on mission was he looking for people on the side of the road? He didn't just happen to come by. He's traveling. I think there's a difference in how we see him. Still in verse 34, it says that he put the man on his own donkey. Wait a minute. So he's traveling down the road. He wasn't walking. He was traveling on his own donkey, and he got off to help this man. Anybody familiar with another term besides donkey that we won't utter out of my mouth today from the Old Testament? Everybody raise your hand if you understand what I'm saying. There's another word for donkey. Yeah, sometimes I think if I would get off of that, I could actually probably help somebody. <laughs> Just a thought. Maybe you and I could do the same, that if we would get off of our donkey and actually approach somebody with the life-saving message of who Jesus is, if we would bring what he's given to us, if we would come prepared to encounter people that need that help, man, I think our community would be changed overnight. 
He puts this man, half dead, on his donkey, and it says that he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. Again, he never judges him. He never places any blame on him. But now, think about it. Picture it in your mind, this parable. You've got this man half dead. He, he can't do anything for the guy anymore. He got down off of his own donkey, and he's having to lead his donkey with this half dead man. He's already given his resources away, his, his oil and his wine, and he puts them on the place where he used to be, and he brings them, and he doesn't just dump them off. He doesn't just say, hey, innkeeper, I got this guy. He's in bad shape. You take care of him. No, what does he do? It says that he stays there. And that he took care of him. Who does that? The priest didn't. The Levite, I don't do that. But this guy, this Samaritan, this half-breed says, I'll do that. I'm going to spend the night. I'm going to take care of this guy. I see it this way in my life that people with a purpose, they do things on purpose. This is not an accident that this guy is helping that's why he's there. He's there to help. And we don't know the details of this. Again, Jesus chose to keep that to himself. But he, he, he stays there with him that night. And the reason I know that is because verse 35 says the next day. He stayed with him in his mess. He bandaged him. He helped him. He was trying to get life back into him. And so on the next day, he takes out to denarii. A denarii is simply a, a day's wage. So he gives not only one day's wage, but two days wages to the innkeeper. Now he says, I think he's good enough, but look after him, he said. He says, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. You can just see the care. You can just witness it here that this third character, this good Samaritan, as we call him, that he has been a neighbor to this man. But I ask you again, who is the best neighbor that you've ever had? Raise your hand if you have a name that's in your mind that could come across your lips. Just a simple hand. Who has been your best neighbor? That was your homework. You're supposed to listen and do it at the same time. I know it's hard. We got it? Cool. Well, hey, in just a minute, I want you to look at the person kind of beside you. Make sure there's there's somebody there. I'm going to give you the opportunity. I want you to tell that person next to you who is the best neighbor you've ever had. I don't think you can match my neighbors. I don't. I don't know how you'd get any better than mine, but I don't know. But I, in just a minute, I'm going to have you share that with the person sitting next to you. Are you ready? Everybody good? Everybody got a name on their list? Cool. Oh, wait. Hold on. Just a Sorry. I got to look at my notes again. Wait. Just a minute. Oh, actually, I just remembered. There's one more verse we should read before we do that. Stick with me. Hold that thought. In verse 36, this is Jesus. He's asking the expert, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? My mistake. I, I see now that maybe the question shouldn't be, Who's the best neighbor I've ever had? That's my fault. I, sh I shouldn't have taken you down that road. My, my mistake. Rather, the question should be, who have you been a neighbor to? Because that's what Jesus wanted to know. The expert asked, who is my neighbor? Jesus never answered him. 
He said, who have you been a neighbor to? Now the list grows a lot shorter. When I ask who's the best neighbor, I can think of people. But now when I say who have I been a neighbor to, it's like crickets. Little interesting here. But I love finally the expert gets it right and listen to his response when he says, which of these was a neighbor? And he replies to him, he says, the one who had mercy on him. You're telling me that the definition of a neighbor isn't somebody that mows my grass or brings me steak or cooks us cinnamon rolls, but the definition of a neighbor is one who shows mercy, undeserved mercy on somebody else. So I have to ask us, not who's your best neighbor, but who have you shown undeserving mercy to? That's the question that Jesus asked. And again, it's, it's whoever has mercy on someone else. Remember earlier I said that parables that Jesus gets to tell the entire story, every detail, it's him. He picked that. We talked about that. But what I love about the parables that I began to see in my life over the last few years, and you may want to write this down. I love it. It's so helpful for me. It's simply this. At the cross, every parable comes to life. I'm going to say that again. At the cross, every parable, every parable comes to life. It'll show us the relationship between Jesus and us. And somehow in there, we learn more. Oh, the world can scratch the surface on the Good Samaritan. That's what it does. It says, hey, you can help somebody that's in need, and we won't get you in trouble for doing that. But that's not the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan story, when we run it through the lens of the cross, it'll actually paint a picture for us, every parable, of our relationship down here with a living and holy God that brought us to himself. But as we look at this story... We see a priest, and we see a Levite, and we see this good Samaritan. We see the guy on the side of the road. But Andrew, you're saying that if a parable, if I run it through the lens of the cross, that it actually shows my relationship with Jesus. But, but Jesus isn't in this story that we just read. He's not in there. Or is he? Hmm. He says in the King James again that a certain Samaritan was traveling. Well, what I remember about Samaritans is that they're like this kind of half-breed, like a little bit Jewish and a little bit the conquering forces that came over them. Did you know that in John chapter 8, a group of people accused Jesus of being a Samaritan who was demon-possessed? Jesus' response was, I'm not demon-possessed. I'm not. But you know what he never said? He never said, I'm not a half-breed. I'm not Samaritan. You say, Andrew, he's not Samaritan, he's Jewish. His mom was Jewish. Didn't his dad come from another kingdom and mix in with our world to bring just a thought? I don't know, it's interesting. Maybe it's maybe that maybe I'm fishing for something that's not there. I don't know. But it seems like he's God and he's man, this mixture, fully both. But maybe, as it said, a certain Samaritan was coming down the road 
says he traveled. I remember a, a story of, of a man that came from somewhere to somewhere else to commune with man. I don't know. Maybe, I'm just, maybe it's just me that sees this. I'm not sure. He took pity on the man. I know we see that Jesus is a God of compassion. I get that. But he bandaged this guy's wounds. Anybody ever heard a verse that says that by his wounds we are healed? Like we see a healing aspect to this certain Samaritan. He, he pours oil and wine. That's what he's using. Do you remember a story about a woman pouring expensive oil on somebody? Anybody familiar with that in the Bible? Or there's a story about wine, like that rings a bell, like maybe... Didn't wasn't there a guy that had disciples and he said, hey, this is my blood, drink this. Remember the sacrifice that I've made. It just, it's, it's almost like too much of a coincidence for this not, I don't know, just stay with me for a minute. Maybe it's just me that sees it this way, but check this out. It said that he, that he put his man, this man, this half-beaten, this dead guy, he put him on his donkey, did he not? What did, what did Jesus come in on? On the triumphal entry. A donkey, right? Well, everybody rode donkeys. Like, I get that. But he gave up his seat so that you and I could sit there. Did he not say that he has seated us in heavenly places with him? Does it look like that maybe he got down off of his donkey to engage me so that I might sit? Where he said, again, I'm just submitting this to you. I don't know if this is really who he is, but it says that he brought him to an end. I'm just reminded that God is our refuge, that he is our strength. He's a very present help in time of what? Trouble, in time of need. This guy on the side of the road is clearly in need. He took care of him. He spent the night with this guy when he's almost dead. Psalm 23, it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are what? You're with me. He stayed with this guy. I just wonder if maybe the good Samaritan, we run it through the lens of the cross, if there's more to this story than me just being polite to somebody. And here's the kicker. Did it for me. I believe what I believe off of this. It says that he took out two denarii, to pay the innkeeper. We know that it, he spent the night with the guy and then he pays two more days wages and he says, I'm gonna come back. So if he spends the night with him and he pays for two more, three days. He said, I'm coming back and when I return, I will reimburse you for everything that this man has spent. I remember him saying in the, in the Bible that his grace is sufficient for me. His power is perfected in my weakness. I don't know about you, but when I read the story of the Good Samaritan, I now understand when I run it through the lens of the cross that he's the Good Samaritan, but I'm the person that was dead on the side of the road, and he came along, and when he saw me, when somebody else said, you're dead, you're no good, there's nothing left for you, that he didn't care what religion had to say, that he stepped down from his own world and he engaged me and he put me where he was supposed to be. And he said, I'm going to spend the darkest nights with you. I'm going to pay every expense for your life because you're worth it. 
Because I want to have mercy on you. Do we not serve a merciful God? That's who he is. I was dead on the side of the road in my filth, in my mess, and he stepped in there with me. The Good Samaritan is not a fictional character, people. It's Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, and he's showing us who he is, and he's showing us who we are and where we've come from. So if I had to vote again, if I had to reclaim who is the best neighbor that I've ever had, it's not the people that live next door to me. It's Jesus because he is the one that has shown mercy to me when I didn't deserve it. We should just thank him that we were once the ones on the side, but he came. He came to make the weak strong. He came to make the poor rich. That's what he does, and that's all spiritually speaking. I'm reminded of Romans Chapter 5, verse 8, it said, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I'm dead on the side of the road, and he said, You're worth it. I don't care what other people have done. I'm coming with a purpose, and I'm coming after you. In closing, I want to revisit that question just briefly. You know, the expert says, who is, who is my neighbor? And, and Jesus, again, doesn't answer that. He said, who have you been a neighbor to? I think trying to find the best neighbor now, that's, that's locked in. It's a done deal. Jesus is the best neighbor I've ever had, and he's the best neighbor that you've ever had. But again, the question remains, who can I be a neighbor to? Who can I show mercy to? You know, if we just read this story and we point fingers at the expert and the priest and the Levite, we say, well, those guys shouldn't have done that. If we never turn it inward, there's no chance for conviction or repentance in our lives. I've been praying that as you hear this message this morning, that the conviction of the Holy Spirit would fall on my life first. Who has the world thrown away? I'm talking about people, not things, people. Who has the world thrown away and discarded that Jesus is asking you today to show mercy to? Well, I, I'm not around those kind of people. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, maybe you and I should take a walk down the bloody way sometime. Prepared with the gospel in our mouth, with provision, what he's given to us, that we can share that with other people. But guys, I, I hear the excuses all the time. I, I don't, you know, there's down and broken people, and I, it's just not, I don't, I don't really know those kind of people. I don't, I don't help them. They're not like me. Or my favorite is, well, that's not my ministry. You know what you're really saying when you say that? Is I don't want to be a neighbor. I don't want to obey Jesus. Like that's not what I'm looking to do. Because you know what he actually asks us to do to wrap this whole thing up? In verse 37, after the man has said, I know it's the one that showed mercy. That was the neighbor. Look at it. Jesus says what? Go and do likewise but i don't want to great then you disobey all you want but i'm telling you jesus says in a command go and do likewise i am so thankful that when my attitude says i don't want to be a neighbor that jesus didn't have the same attitude towards me what if god would have said hey i don't i don't want to do that what if jesus said i don't i don't want to go help the broken people we'd be dead. We'd be utterly destroyed. In 2 Peter 3, 9, though, it says what Jesus actually is and what he does. It said that he's patient 
with you. He's not wanting anyone at all to perish, but that everyone would come to him, would come to repentance. He wants everybody. He wants to go to everybody on the side of the road that's in a mess. And he said, I came for everybody. If he's been patient with you, could we not be patient with those? Could we not extend that mercy to other people? First thing I want to ask, if there's anyone in today that maybe you're the one on the side of the road and you're like, I need the good Samaritan in my life this morning, you're going to have a chance in a moment to respond to that, to say, I, Jesus, I need your help. Like I'm dead. I can't even move on my own. I need you to come into my life. We would love to share with you what that looks like. And I think some of us this morning, myself included, we need to repent for disobeying the command to go and do likewise. We get too busy in our own lives. We don't have time for that. We're the priest. We're the Levite. We're too busy. So maybe there's just a place for repentance between you and God this morning. God, forgive me for not being a neighbor, for not going and doing likewise. Help me to show mercy as you continue to show us mercy. Do you realize that God shows you mercy every morning? Every morning. I love the scripture talks about it. It says his love is everlasting. But did you know that his mercies are new every morning? There's a difference there. He knows that. He knows we need mercy. Guys, I still struggle in my life. I show mercy to someone, and then I go back, and they're in the same situation. Can I still continue to show mercy? If his mercies are new every morning, why aren't mine? If that's the Jesus that I'm following. Will you bow your heads and pray with me this morning?